0: Welcome to our show. Today I have a guest. Her name is Rosie Volcano. I'm very excited to bring her in here today. Um, She'll be talking to us about lots of different things. One of the things she does is she's a coach, a life coach, and she's a very uh, extremely outgoing, warm-hearted person that I think is going to be able to share some very interesting stuff with us. So let's bring her in.
1: Welcome to our show, Rosie. Thank you, Amy. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so
0: um, I wanted you to just give us a little bit about your background. You're a coach
1: now, and you're Mm -hmm. in San Diego, right? Yeah, that's right. I am a transformational coach. I have a coaching company with my partner, Kit, and we've been in San Diego since March 2017, so about three years now. Okay, great.
0: And... um,
1: tell us just a little
0: bit about where you were before you were a coach and mm-hmm. then a little bit about how you got to become a coach and what you're doing now. Sure. Uh,
1: so this is, this is really interesting that you bring up this question right now because uh, Kit, I don't know if you know this, but Kit and I are right in the middle of what we call our, our get yourself together challenge, <laughs> which is this week long challenge we do online where we tell our whole story of how we got here and all the transformations that we've been through that have led us here. And we invite people in to come work with us and do the same work, you know, that we have worked on for years and years and years and so we've been doing a lot of thinking and writing and processing around how we got here and who we were on the way here and so it's really like perfect timing because my head has just been in all of those stories so deeply for the last few weeks while we're like you know we do this challenge three times a year it's our eighth challenge so we we pretty much have all this stuff memorized but you still you know you think about it and then also um funny enough this morning, I woke up to a memory popping up on my phone of exactly seven years ago today, I posted a video from the morning of one of our forest yoga teacher trainings. So we were we were during at this teacher training, it's a month long, as you know, uh, and we were in San Francisco for a month, waking up at 4 a.m. every single morning, and I would make everyone from my house when we were riding the bus together, listen to new kids on the block with me to get us pumped up. That's hilarious. And so, yeah. So there's a video of me like with green hair, just like singing new kids on the block, giving them all lap dances while we're on this bus full of construction workers going to work at five in the morning. And, um, and it was just like, so, it was such a pivotal moment for me because it's, it's a silly video, but really it signifies, A huge turning point in my life that has brought me directly to where I am today So I was a body worker Massage therapist for many years before that video was taken. So that was from 2013 I started doing body work in 2007, so I was like 22 23 and I always knew that I was meant to heal people help people Um, I didn't realize how much of an energy worker I was or how much of an empath I was and also how much of a codependent I was. And so for years and years and years, I would just take people's pain, their trauma, their stories into me and hold on and be like, I got you. I'll just, I'll just take your pain for you. It's okay. Just give it all to me. I can handle it. I'm 22. And I just did that for years. And um, it was right before I found forest yoga that I hit a big breaking point. Um, and essentially I, I'd been a big fan of yoga, but I was a big fan of like masochistic yoga, like Bikram yoga, where you're essentially punishing yourself (laughs) and not facing your problems. Um, and so I'd been doing that for many years and slowly my body was starting to break down on me. My spirit was starting to break down and I had the worst year of my life in 2010. Um, I got my, I got assaulted on the street. I got my jaw broken by a random stranger on the street. I think he was trying to mug me, but he didn't end up taking anything because, you know, people were watching. So he just ran away, but got my jaw broken, right? I also happened to move to Italy that year, which was a great thing, but some stuff went down there when I moved back to Chicago. I was in Chicago at the time. I moved back to Chicago a year later and uh, my one apartment got broken into. Everything got stolen. Six weeks later, the new apartment I moved into burnt down with me in it. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So like pretty much every terrible thing you could think of happened in one year. And, um, and I was sitting there thinking like, what am I cursed? Am I haunted? What is going on? And really what it was, was, you know, you're, you know, about Abraham Hicks, the law of attraction. How am I attracting this? what vibration am I carrying inside of myself that is attracting all of these things to me right now? And I didn't really know about law of attraction at that time, but I knew that there was one common denominator with all of these things that were happening in my life. And I knew that something had to change. And really what it came down to is how I think of myself, my worthiness. And those traumas that I experienced in that year were just stacked on top of many, 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 many other ones from my past that I just pretended like everything was fine. You know, like I can handle it all. And then in 2012, I just started dating Kit at the time and we've been friends for five years. We just never considered dating, but both of us had kind of this spiritual awakening in the same year in a community of people. At the time we were both women. And so in a community of lesbians who none of them were really spiritual it, in Chicago, it was not really a popular thing to be. And so we were kind of the two outcasts who were like, I like tarot cards. Yeah, me too. Okay. Maybe we should date. And so he took me to my first, yeah, he took me to my first forest yoga class. And in that class at the, in Shavasana, our teacher led us through Ho'oponopono. Are you familiar with that? The forgiveness prayer? Yeah, the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer. And it was the first time in two years, since I had gotten my jaw broken in two years, that I was able to even consider forgiving the person who did it to me. Yeah. And the amount of release and relief that I felt just from those 10 minutes, I knew in that moment that I was meant to do that for other people. Wow. I knew in that moment, yeah, that I was meant to be a forest yoga teacher, number one. And number two, that I was meant to do that for other people, really that process. And so I thought, well, this yoga must be the the pathway to become this person who can do this for other people. Even though I already knew I'd been doing it for other people on my massage table for many years, I was like, oh, I could do this just by speaking to a yoga class for many people all at once. Okay, let's do this too. So sure enough, a couple months later, Kit and I were married and then in Forest Yoga Teacher Training together as a newlywed couple in May 2013. And shortly after that, we opened our yoga studio. We moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and opened a yoga studio in 2014. Um, and so we started doing it. We started transforming people's lives. We started seeing people heal from traumas in our yoga classes. We started, people, started seeing people wake up to their worthiness and knowing that there was something better for them.
0: Yeah.
1: And so at that
0: time, because I kind of know where you are, a little bit about where you are now, but if you yeah. like go back and think about where the two of you were at that point in time and I don't know what kits wounds or any of that
1: were. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm.
0: if you look at yourself at that period would you say that you at that time you didn't really have the self-worth
1: no that you have no. now no it was just the beginning really yeah because- it was that you had to completely break down everything. And, and that's where the beginning of it was, was in that teacher training in May 2013, Forest Yoga teacher training, which thank God that training is a month long because really all day, every day, all you're doing is just crying about your past and like breaking down who you thought you were, <laughs> and then, like recreating yourself. You really need a solid month to do that. You really do. So, I'm so grateful to that whole journey, so, so grateful every day of my life that I had that time. I gave myself that time. That was the biggest gift I could have ever given myself. Yeah, and it was yeah. also, and so that was just the beginning of it. But even two years after that training, I still didn't have as much wisdom or awareness as I have now. Like, I had some worthiness, like, I believed in myself in some ways. I had forgiven myself, I'd forgiven others. I felt very spiritual, but. I still didn't know how to charge what I was worth. I didn't even know how to charge. I couldn't ask people to pay for the yoga to keep the lights on at the studio that we were trying to run. Like I know, that's so hard. That's and, so hard and, as a yoga teacher. Yeah, every student that wanted a discount, were like, yeah, sure, just come be a work trader. Well, it turns out all of our students were work traders. Okay, and then how are we paying for this yoga studio again? How do we do this? Right. And so there was the worthiness thing there internally, but also there was still something missing. It was like, why can't we? Just, and also I think it had something to do with the fact of living in, in the South in Appalachia, you know, there's a different um, mindset around money down there as well. Everybody barters and thinks that if you're spiritual, you shouldn't have to rely on money to survive. Well, guess what? It still costs money to keep lights on at your yoga studio and buy food from the grocery store. You need money for that. (laughs) You can't just, you know, you can't just forage, forage in the forest for mushrooms every day and survive on just that, right? um and so that was the breakdown is we tried to run that yoga studio for about two years and it was the most stressful thing on top of the fact that during those two years kit decided or realized that um he wanted to transition female to male um and so that added some stress on as well of course it it made sense to both of us we're like oh duh why didn't we think of this before that's yeah let's do it do it for sure. I'll support you, of course. But it's still a very stressful thing to go through hormones and things like that. Um, and so our marriage was falling apart. We were going into debt. Um, we put all of our savings into opening that studio, and it was just barely getting its head above the water by the time we decided to close it. Because after almost two years, we realized it's not it's not worth the stress. Why are we in Asheville North Carolina? What are we doing here? <laughs> did not want to be there. Yeah. Um and even if the studio did get its head above water and stay there, we'd still be really married to it and chained to it. Yeah. Even you know what I mean? Definitely, and um definitely. and really One of my life's deepest desires ever since I was a little kid was to travel and to see the world. I had National Geographic magazines I collected as a kid because I just wanted to see the world. And that was something that as a brick and mortar business owner, it's very difficult to do. And so um, all of that combined, this is crazy. This is going to be so crazy for you. Okay. So all of that combined we are stressed out. We're on the brink of divorce. We are just like breaking down. We're super skinny because we don't even have enough money to buy food. Like we just had to share the smallest amounts of food. Our relatives were sending us money. I have, I've relied on myself since I was 14 years old, never asked my parents for money. And all of a sudden my dad is sneaking money into my checking account. I was like, I don't even know how you have that information, but okay, dad, <laughs> thanks. Wow, yeah. Um, 30 years old, you know? And, uh, so it was a very humbling moment. For me, you know, yeah. being this self-sufficient person. I can take care of myself. I'm fine. You know? Um, and so we're, we're at this moment. We don't know what to do. We're $1,100 short on rent. It's February 1st, 2016. And, um, February 1st, 2016, I'm sitting at my desk trying to write a newsletter, trying to get people into the studio, $1,100 short on rent. And we had never listened to Abraham Hicks at this point this is the fun part. Okay. We were still in that city skeptic person mindset of that's too woo woo for us. We're freaking forest yoga teachers calling the four directions and Abraham Hicks is too woo woo for us. Like who did we think (laughs) we were? But you know, and so like I'd heard the name, but I didn't really know what it was about. I knew law of attraction. I knew the secret, you know, I knew the kind of more mainstream side of things, but we weren't applying any of that stuff. That's for sure. And so I'm sitting at my desk and all of a sudden this voice comes out of nowhere in my head and says, listen to Abraham Hicks. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, I'll do anything at this point. Sure. So I put it on my headphones as I'm trying to get some inspiration to write. And, and little did I know, the kid is in the other room scrolling on his phone like he does when he's stressed out. He just shuts down and scrolls on his phone. <laughs> the same exact video. No way popped up on his phone. This is before our YouTube accounts were connected. So we weren't even on the same account. It pops up on his phone too, the same video. And he's never listened to Abraham Hicks before either. So he starts listening. And then at some point he walks through the room because my room was, the office was kind of like between two rooms and he sees the computer screen and he sees that I'm listening to the same video that he is because, you know, most of the videos on YouTube are not really videos. It's just the audio. But he sees the screen and it's the same screensaver. And he's like, we're listening to the same video. I was like, that's weird. He goes, what do you think of it? I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. She's got a little bit of an accent thing going on. I don't know what's really happening. Like, is it a man? Is it a woman? I don't know. I don't get it. But, like, I like it. It's that, you know, let's start listening to it. Let's, like, start going on morning walks and and just really listening to it. And so we did. We started to go. We had this beautiful mountain trail in a forest right outside our front door because Asheville, North Carolina, we're in the Blue Ridge Mountains and we happen to live right next to a trail and so every morning we take our dogs out and we would play Abraham Hicks on speaker on our phone and listen to it together as we walked.
0: Yeah, and so tell the people I, that are listening, sorry, tell the people <laughs> that that are listening
1: that don't know what, what Abraham is, like how would you explain? Yeah. Okay, so Abraham Hicks is um is first of all, it's a a sweet little older lady named Esther Hicks from Texas, who is just as sweet as can be, who essentially tapped into meditation in the 1980s and discovered that she was a channel for non-physical source energy. And so she has these guides that she receives messages from and she interprets them and uses them to give people answers to their questions or share wisdom with the world. And she re- they refer to themselves as Abraham. It's just kind of a collective source of information, and so she's been doing this since the 80s. And she has these seminars where there'll be like 500 or a thousand people in a ballroom at a hotel a few times a year. She comes through San Diego. She has a house here. She goes all up and down California. She does cruises, and essentially the point is um, they do one person at a time in the hot seat, and usually each session will have if you go. You go for about four hours, and you'll maybe see three or four people get in the hot seat. And have she you gone to those the live ones right. with her? Okay, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah, very yeah. cool. Okay, three. Awesome. Three, and has been in the hot seat twice. Wow, bastard. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, it's fine. But um, so, uh, so that's that's Abraham Hicks, right? And so yes, it is very woo woo. And when she does channel this information, she the older videos, you'll listen to it. She sounds kind of like a vampire. Like she has a strange accent. You're like, what's with the accent? What's happening? I don't get it. Right. But still, if if you really, really listen to it and you have to be ready for it, if you try to listen to it before you're ready to hear it, you're going to be totally turned off. So just everybody listening out there, if you turn it on and you're like, what the hell is this crap? Come back to it in six months. You might be ready for it. You never know.
0: Yeah, or the other thing I think is like, you know, she just put one out recently that my mom sent me um mm-hmm. talking about well she doesn't use the word covid but she's talking about what's yeah. happening today. And yeah. I was thinking like even if people don't believe that she's a channel, like if people if there are people out there that are like that doesn't exist. Right. Uh that's a bunch of crap and right. hell no. I still think that
1: whatever she's saying is so relevant it doesn't exactly.
0: matter, right? Exactly.
1: Who cares if it's coming from her subconscious, if it's coming from the universe? It doesn't matter, does it? Because the thing is, if you listen and you get information from it that you can apply into your life and that improves your life, then who cares? Yeah. Where it comes from. <laughs> so that's where we were at. We were at rock bottom and we had nowhere to go but up and we had nothing left to lose. And so we were like, Let's just do whatever she says to do and try it a hundred percent and apply all of it like as much as we can and catch each other. When we start to go in different directions and pull each other back and just keep applying it and see if it works because we have nothing left to lose right now.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: so, and that's the point. I think that really those moments in life, those are our biggest gifts. Is when you hit rock bottom or you're like, you just have nowhere else to go. And that's, that's when the biggest possible transformation is, is available to you. And so like those moments are really, those are awesome. Yeah.
0: And the Abraham Hicks, they talk about that, like that upheaval is that actually your soul really wanting that because yeah. you giving you what you want and that upheaval, those moments like now that we're going through that yeah. upheaval, that's where you're going to find the solutions.
1: Exactly. If you're willing to look at it that way. So, um, So here we were, rock bottom, in debt, nothing left to lose, marriage falling apart, losing our business. And really at that point in my life, in always in my life when I buffer I don't I'm not a drinker I'm not a weed smoker or anything like that but I buffer with fantasy so Harry Potter Lord of the Rings you name it I've got like seven different series of books that I'll listen to in my headphones I'll read them over and over again I'll watch the movies or the shows or whatever and it's like comfort food to me it's like for some people they eat mac and cheese I watch Harry Potter it's how I check out that's how I avoid thinking about my feelings. <laughs> and so at that point in my life, I had been listening to a lot of Harry Potter because every time I would get mad or sad or overwhelmed, I could just pretend I was going to wizard school in Scotland. And so... um with Abraham Hicks what they talk about is don't think about you know, in very very basic terms don't think about what you don't want because it's going to draw more of that to you think about what you do want and so at that time i've been thinking a lot about i've always wanted to go to scotland that is a place that i have always wanted to visit and see i want to see the castles i want to see edinburgh i want to see where jk rowling wrote I want to see where a lot of my favorite fantasy novels have taken place, the, the standing stones and all of the magic and, the, you know, that kind of thing, the fairies, Roslyn Chapel, I mean, all of it. And so I've been thinking a lot about Scotland. And so we started listening to Abraham Hicks. And within one week, we had Jambo, who is a mutual friend of ours, who's a forest yoga teacher, and Brian Campbell, another forest yoga teacher, ask us if they could come host their very first yoga bodyworkers training at our yoga studio in Asheville an opportunity that could make us possibly, you know, an unlimited amount of money, but like, you know, if we did it right and we actually helped them get people into this training and between the split that we would all make, it would really, really help us out. We we made about $10,000 from that. So that was a big opportunity that came our way within a week. We did it, it was super successful. We got 30 people to come to this training and it was the most amazing connective experience for all of us. And that really was like the catalyst that opened so much up. A week after John and Brian called us, another forest yoga famous teacher from Scotland called us as well. We didn't know these people before, really. They just knew us from the internet. Um, Finlay Wilson from Scotland called and, and asked us if we wanted to move to Scotland and teach at his yoga studio for six months. Yeah. Um, and Did you do it? Like, well, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, when do you want us? Like it was, I think it was March when he called us. Yeah, because it's so it found Abraham in February. Finley probably found us around the end of March, and then we moved to Scotland in June. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and we stayed there till the end of the year. Yeah. And um, it was the dream come true. I mean, I got to see all of Scotland. I got to get paid to live in Scotland teaching yoga to amazing people. And all of the people I met in that year, from the yoga body, body worker streaming to living in Scotland, all of them, it was like this very magical connection. And so, at the end of that year, um, Ken and I decided to move back to the States. We, we moved to California because his whole family lives here. And we decided, you know what, it's time to hire a business coach. I don't know where we're going to go from here. We don't want to own another yoga studio. What do we do? You know, the studio that we had owned in Asheville and then all the students we had taught in Scotland many of them were making these huge transformations in their lives, they were healing deep traumas, they were seeing themselves in a new light. And so one thing we knew is that we were already coaches. Both of us have been coaching for a very long time. I would coach people on my massage table, Kit used to be a hairdresser. He would coach people on his hair chair. And so both of us had already been coaches for many, many years before we actually became coaches. So we started receiving coaching for the first time. We realized, oh, we're already really good at this. Great. Okay, cool. And there's a whole world out there full of yoga teachers who don't know their worth because we're all We're all sacrificial healers. We all give our services away for free and work ourselves to the bone and put ourselves last and have codependent relationships. And if we could help all of those people, not only would we be healing some sort of like generational wound for this whole genre of people, but we would also be providing ourselves with an income that actually make sense that would give us a real living, like the possibility of having a family, um, which was not a possibility before. And sure enough, we opened our first coaching program and filled it with yoga teachers. And then we opened another coaching program, filled it with yoga teachers. And then eventually they wanted to learn how to be coaches too. We're like, oh, okay, sure. We'll teach you how to be coaches. Boom. There we go. And so within the first year of doing that, we had a six figure year And then the year after that, within the first month of that year, we had a six-figure month. Um, And so we realized that we had found our purpose. Not only were we good at what we do, but we love what we do and people need what we do. And it all worked out. (laughs) And so that first six-figure month was January 2018. And then since then, it's not like every month is six figures. We have a few launches a year, you know. Yeah. Um, we've consistently grown since then and um, we decided to have a baby and buy our first house in San Diego which is like if you told me in 2016 that I was going to buy a house in San Diego and have a baby in 2019 like my brain would have exploded how is that possible how is that possible
0: yeah but it's so great that you found that and um, we're really able to target yoga teachers because I, I used to own a studio and I've trained a lot of, studi- lot of uh, students and there's that taboo in the yoga world of making money. And I found that we have a problem with our self-worth because we love teaching yoga and there's that weird stigma. Like if you love what you're doing, then it, you, why are you charging for it? You feel there's guilty. Spiritual.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's the
0: spiritual thing. Of course, but there's also that thing like, oh, most people that work and are paid well are doing a job they don't like. And so if I'm doing a job I do like, right, I feel like there's it's so that. weird, right? But it's out there, right? Don't you think? Yes. And it's just like, I was thinking about like, I don't know if you've, um, I'm sure you have dealt with mean people. <laughs> mean or jealous or envious people, whether it's through emails that are like this long, right? That lasts like 20 hours. And you're like, thanks for vomiting on me. <laughs> whatever the projections and the hate or the envy or the whatever it is, I have found comes often from our own yoga community because there's that, um, lack of self-worth and so when you start to be successful as a teacher they start saying deep down they're like i want that but i don't believe i deserve that so i'm gonna go shit on that person yeah like i felt like that's kind of been a pattern and so when i realized that it's like wow that person probably wants to make a living and probably wants to do well but they believe deep down they don't deserve it they're not worthy yeah. and then you have this mixed message going out to the yoga community because sometimes students are seeing, Oh, that teacher doesn't charge a lot or that teacher's doing it for free mm-hmm. or that teacher's doing it for free because they don't need the money. Mm-hmm. But why are you charging? And so then students get confused and they right. think, well, why should I pay for yoga? Cause some teachers are doing it for free or some are doing yeah. it for $5 on the beach. And yeah. then, so I was thinking about all this and I thought it's our, it's our fault. It's the yoga teacher's fault for that out there. For us thinking we don't deserve it, for us Mm -hmm. treating each other like not very well sometimes because there's jealousy, if I'm not making it you are, then you're not spiritual anymore. How dare you?
1: Who are you to, have you dealt with that? You know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know, what's interesting is that um, we've built a community of people who we have awakened to their own worthiness. And so most of the people we surround ourselves with, they don't think like that anymore, which is a beautiful thing. They see themselves as valuable. They see what what they have to offer the world as valuable and they're getting paid for that really well. We've ended up hiring so many of our colleagues from the yoga world into our business so they work for us now and they're making bomb ass money and living in the virgin islands and buying properties in costa rica and like working a quarter of the hours they used to work making four times as much money and so it's like um we've we've kind of like helped them discover this new life and it's it's beautiful and so sometimes we forget that there are still people out there that haven't broken through those beliefs yet because we've really just like <laughs> filtered them out in a lot of ways. And, um, and usually people are attracted to us because they're ready for that change because yeah, they're yeah. ready to change their mindset, which is great. And so we're like, we're fi- we're, we're sending our messages to the right people now yeah, and kind yeah. of avoiding the other people who really don't want to change. Cause that's what they say about, um, how many therapists does it take to screw in a light bulb or something like that? It's like, uh one but they have to want to change or something like that. They have to want to do it. It's just, you know, it's like you can't force transformation on somebody. You can't force somebody to change their beliefs. They have to want to change their beliefs first. And they have to ask, they have to be willing to ask you to do it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, but it's funny you bring that up because we recently started running ads. We've built this whole business organically. We built, you know, this half a million dollar a year business organically. We just started playing with ads in the last six months or so just to see what would happen. Cause why not get bigger? Why not spread this to more people and, and grow exponentially instead of this kind of like, Oh, well, we've already been growing pretty exponentially, but it's been, we've been able to handle it. And now we're like, okay, let's, let's step it up. Let's see what happens with ads. And so we've been putting these ads out there in the comments that you get from random strangers on Facebook ads, man, if you're not prepared emotionally to read them, just don't even look at them because sometimes people can just say the most horrible things out of nowhere. And you, you you're reminded, Oh, right. Not everybody does this work. Yeah. Not everybody has this perspective. You start seeing the, the, the beliefs of like, Oh, spirituality can't, you can't sell spirituality. If you're spirit, if you want to learn this stuff, you can learn it for free. It's available everywhere. Da, da, da. You name it, you name it, all these comments. And then of course the just straight up mean ones like, Oh, you look stupid or whatever, you know, don't really, <laughs> but that's, that's really where it's been coming up lately for me. And, um, and you know, like, I, I don't have time to get into a Facebook comment. Yeah. war So if they're attracted to our message, great click the link. If not cool, I'll delete your comment. It's not a big deal to me. Um, but yeah, so, so I mean, I don't know, but it, it's definitely out there. And again, like I said, I think that the right people will, if you, if you start to filter your own worlds and stop associating with the people who are being hard on you for charging what you're worth, Eventually, you can create your own reality surrounded only by other people who celebrate you when you stand in your worth.
0: I love that. Yeah. That's important because it's so easy to get caught up, and we all do it in that one person that's not happy with who you are or doesn't right. believe in what you're doing, even if there's 8,000 people that think you're great. Exactly. And yeah. it's so hard to filter that. And it's, you know, when those type of things have happened as a yoga studio owner or as a trainer or those type of things, you know, I was always like, why am I so focused on why am I questioning so much myself from this one person when everyone else is blossoming and opening and transforming and happy and on their own path and not even worrying about who I am? Yeah, if I even worry about who I am. Why do you even care who I am? You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, but it was always hard for that, and then I always think, like, well if you want to take it back to like the Abraham Hicks vibrational thing, it's almost like a sign like, Oh, we don't vibrate together. So this Mm -hmm. is a sign that I need to like, let go of that because we're not, we're not together and I don't need to force some weird, (laughs) some weird pairing up of something. If it's not going to work out, even though human nature, you kind of want to resolve conflict or you want to prove to somebody like, no, I, 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 I do like what I'm doing. I do believe in you. I do whatever. I am good, whatever. Right. Sometimes you have to let it go and be like, Oh, they don't believe in me. They don't like me. They don't.
1: Yeah. And one of my favorite, uh, phrases that I remind myself of in this time is your vibe attracts your tribe. So if people are not attracted to your vibe, then they're not part of your tribe and that's okay. They're going to be part of somebody else's tribe. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And what I think like,
0: so we were, you know, you're telling me that. So, you've had a lot of different faces in your life to get to where you are now. And you have hit rock bottom and you have managed to figure out where you belong and where your gifts are and where your value is. And you've done that with kit together. You've built something that's like your own little empire. Right. And um, now you're like, okay, well it works. We love what we do. We're great at what we do. We've made major changes, like helped people make changes because they wanted those changes it yeah. was nothing forced. It was like this was their time, and they wanted to do this. They came to us, and we all did it together. Like you need both mm-hmm. sides to be ready, right? Like in the coaching world, do they still use the term uncoachable? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so like, yeah. yeah, so like you have people that might talk to you, and then you realize, oh, they're probably not coachable. Like,
1: um, well, it's you have to use discernment before you label somebody as uncoachable? Because oftentimes what I find, and this also comes back to Abraham Hicks, is a, a lot of times if somebody seems uncoachable at first, is something that you have to transform inside of yourself as the coach. Um, so you have to think, okay, are they uncoachable because I'm triggered by them? <laughs> and am I talking to them in a way that is putting their guard up because I'm triggered by an aspect of them. Uh-huh. And if that's, if that's the case, you really have to say, okay, well, what layer do I need to transform to be a complete neutral open channel for them so that they can get their transformation. And a lot of times that will remove that uncoachable label, but sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes people just start straight up uncoachable or they're not coachable by you. It's just not a good fit. And that's okay. But you know, so, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then the other thing with coaching is like
0: sometimes people have specialties or they start to they start to have specialties, not because they chose them, but just because their experiences are attracting certain people because they're good at helping certain people with certain experiences or um, certain transformations they want to make. And so would you tell us a little bit about where you think you your movement and uh, specialty is right now?
1: Yeah. So like I said, we, we coach, we've coached a lot of yoga teachers, but really when it comes down to it, we've, we find our, our tribe, the people who are most attracted to us are in that category of like sacrificial healers. So whether it's a yoga teacher, massage therapist, energy worker, psychic, along those lines, yeah. or, and, or, cause oftentimes they go together, but, and, or, um, like if you've ever seen the show Glee yeah. or The Greatest Showman, um, movies and shows like that, where it's kind of like a team of people who have all previously been, uh, outcasts or misfits, people who felt like they've never fit in. Um, those are the types of people that end up really resonating with the way that we do our work the most. Um, and because we show them that you can be different and successful. We show up to our webinars wearing unicorn onesies and rainbow wigs and kits of man that used to be a woman and I'm a lesbian and it's like, who are these people? We have a four parent family. You know, we have a baby with another couple that we're raising as friends, it's like, we, we do life differently. We look different. We think different than, than most of the world out there. And we're successful with it and we're happy and functional. Like, you know what I mean? Like what? A lot of people will grow up a certain way or have certain beliefs to where if they heard these things from the outside, they'd initially think, Oh wow, that's messed up. (laughs) <laughs> but then they get to know us and they realize, oh, wow, you guys actually, because you have four parents, you are, you have to be even better communicators. And so there's less passive aggressiveness. There's less, you know, we it, it, like, wow, oh my gosh, I wish I had that in my family. Can you teach me how you communicate as a family? Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and so so that's who we tend to attract is is people who have always known that they were different. And we teach them how to make what makes them different. That's what makes them special. That's what, that is their biggest asset in life. Yeah. And I just see
0: that. Yeah. I see that so natural in you. Like I don't see it as something, maybe you had to learn it, but I just feel like it's who you are um, because you're living such an unconventional lifestyle, but somehow it seems so normal. Yeah. I (laughs) like, it just (laughs) seems like, it just seems like maybe it's feeling secure on what we do mm-hmm. and happy with the way we're doing it and no need to prove anybody wrong or yeah. because sometimes you see like rebels out there um like really pushing like that they're so unconventional but it's in such a rebellious way that it's not authentic right. and you're like oh god really right right? Or there's maybe more of the type of people that you're getting. It's like people that don't want to be seen because they haven't fit in the way that society says they should. And so they kind of like don't want to be seen. And so then they're not secure or confident. So they don't seem to fit in because they really don't feel like they do. Yeah. And they never have really been. And then
1: it's just this weird cycle, but I feel like yeah. it makes Here's so much sense. The best examples. Here's one of the best examples of that. Um, And yeah, you're right, like I have always been this way. I was born this way. I grew up in Baltimore city, which is mostly black. And um, I grew up in a neighborhood where most of the people in my neighborhood, very, very small part of the neighborhood were white in a cult, in a religious cult together that my parents had been in. They kind of quit when I was born. So I didn't necessarily grow up in it, but all those kids, all my family were in it. I grew up around them, they were all my friends. And so it was a very interesting childhood. Um, and what then was the when I cult showed...
0: like? Is it based on a religion or? Yeah, yeah,
1: it was a Christian Christian cult. Okay. It was a community, right? But, uh-huh. but they were very, very strict. You couldn't talk to people outside the community. You had to wear certain things. They didn't celebrate certain holidays. Like kids weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. You know, that kind of thing. And there was some corruption, of course, typical cult stuff. But anyway, so very interesting childhood. And then when I would go to public school, I went to pretty much an all-black school, um, I was one of five white kids in the school. And so, from a very young age, i was all I was always like kind of uh, confronted with a reality where there were there was a lot of uh, difference happening. And so I, I kind of learned not to judge anybody for anything. and i never I never had that. And so I never really knew the difference between, if I had a crush on a girl or a crush on a boy, it was always just normal to me, right? Or if somebody was black or if somebody was white, I didn't understand the difference, right, growing up. And so so I think that that was a really big gift to me because I never judged people based on anything. And so I would have all these different little friends And some of them would judge other ones for being fat or skinny or white or black or whatever. And I'd kind of bring them all together and be like, Hey, let's just all hang out and be friends. (laughs) Like that was just me. And, um, and then as I got older and I was, my parents were still very Catholic. I would, I was, I had to go to Catholic church and all that. And I loved it. I loved going to church, but I also loved people who weren't religious. I loved everybody. Right. I didn't judge anybody. And I thought, well, that's, that's what Jesus is. Right. So shouldn't I be that way too? Um, until until I got into high school and realized, oh, well, yeah, I'm definitely bisexual. I like girls and I like boys. And I understand that the church doesn't really like that. And so, but I, I didn't have a problem with it personally. So I just told everybody about it. And, <laughs> right. And that's when I first started experiencing like judgment from something that is the place you're not supposed to experience judgment from, from the church. Right. And so that became this thing for me. And eventually I came out fully as gay in my twenties and really, really separated from that whole identity of being Christian or Catholic or any of those things. And I had walls up, you know, I became very, and you know, I went through a lot actually with my parents when I decided to get married and all that kind of stuff. And so I had a lot of walls up against Christians and I just assumed that all of them judged me. And so I would judge them before they ever got a chance to judge me and just stay far away from them so that they didn't have a chance to judge me. Yeah. I would made assumptions about them and I made just as many judgments about them as they made about me. Oh, they're closed minded. Oh, they're conservative. Oh, they are homophobic. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're doing the same things to each other and not talking about it because we just stay away from each other. So when kid and I moved to San Diego, we joined a coaching program that was run by a Christian guy. And there were 50 people who joined our, our group coaching program at the same time. And 80% of them were Christians. And then there were maybe three or four other gay people within that group. So it was very interesting. And we had several live events that we would do together very deep personal transformational events kind of like tony robbins style like you're just laying your heart out laying your trauma out your stories and after that first four day event spending four days in a room with these 50 people all of a sudden we all realized all the judgments we were holding about each other before we even knew who each other were and by the end of that year of working with them all of our judgments that we had been carrying about christian people was like blown out of the water and all of a sudden we've realized we were being just as judgmental as they were being and that like oh holy shit this whole thing just opened up for us and it set us free in so many ways yeah um and that has been like one of the most gifts of coaching because I've gotten to welcome in all these people who had the same types of judgments that I had that Christian people were judgmental or I, everybody hates me everybody judges me and um, all of that kind of stuff and I've gotten to help these people understand that oh wait a minute you're judging them just as much as they're judging you and guess what? If you give most of them a chance, you guys all have the same stories, the same feelings, the same experiences in life. And you're cutting yourself off from connection and opportunity, and you're living in this small little bubble of just fear and judgment of everyone. And and that's what we set people free from. So when people come to our events, we have this woman on our team who's just ended up coming to every single event who so we met through <laughs> that original. Christian coaching company. We met her at one of the events and she decided she liked us better. So she's just, (laughs) she's the most Christian person I've ever met. She talks about Jesus every other word, but she also is just the most loving, beautiful, caring, magical woman. And we've helped her open her eyes to the fact that she's an energy healer. So now she's like a Reiki master now. Yeah. And it's been three years. Isn't that work (laughs) of the devil? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. And so now she has to go back to her little small town in Wisconsin and convince all her Christian friends that Reiki is actually like the same thing as experiencing a miracle through Jesus, right? It's the same thing, right? And, um, And then she'll come to our events three times a year where she's the odd one in the room and everyone's like, what's this Christian lady doing here? And boom, we get to bring up that trigger right away and help people unpack it, unwind it, transform it and heal it. And then it's like, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't even know I had that inside of me. That's really like the magic of this work. Yeah, that's great.
0: It's so great. You're doing so much good work um, with adults that are already have set ideas and you're able to kind of, you know, let them release those ideas and kind of become somebody new almost, you know, or kind of like see the world in a different way. And I just find that's such a rewarding part. Like of being in that type of coaching or yoga or body work or being those, those type of those kind of professions where it's so real, you know, and like, it can be so intense sometimes that, um, I, I can, I found it intense. Like you said earlier at the beginning, you would take everybody's pain, you know, and like how have you worked through that now where you're empathetic, but not sympathetic in the way that you're just taking it all and you, uh, you've absorbed it. Like, how are you emotionally making sure that you stay somehow neutral after all
1: those things? Yeah. Uh, so that's been also, I think one of the other biggest gifts in my life is actually learning how to do energy work correctly. Um, because for so many years I was just taking it in and as my own, um, and it was breaking me down, body, mind, and spirit. And like I said, I reached that breaking point emotionally, traumatic, like that year of trauma, all of those things. And pretty soon after that, I started getting all of these opportunities to learn more. So a woman invited me to do her shamanic priestess training. A friend invited me to my first ayahuasca ceremony. So between plant medicine, learning about shamanism and learning more about energy work, becoming a shamanic priestess, doing all those trainings. For the last seven years, I've, I've really been able to put into words, what I knew I had been doing my whole life. Mm-hmm. Right. So I knew as an energy transformer for people my whole life, but I didn't understand what that meant. And so that's why I was just taking it as my own. Cause I didn't understand it. Yeah. And, and now um, you really
0: feel that difference when it's yours and when it's not yours.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, yeah, yeah, totally but I think one of the most important things that I've been able to distinguish and work with is becoming a a channel as instead of a receptacle. And so the first thing that I really learned from anybody, and this was from somebody who worked with me at a massage place. I was working at a chiropractor's office and I was like, what do I do? My hands are all red and swollen and eh." they're like, it's it's stored up energy. Like it's, <laughs> You have to release the energy. And I'm like, what? That's woo-woo stuff. Like, I'm a clinical massage therapist. I just talk about myofascial release and trigger points and anatomy. And I thought I was so smart, right? Um, but I would touch a point on someone's body and he would have, he would release 10 years of childhood trauma and be like a baby crying in my arms for 45 minutes. I'd be like, oh yeah, that was just a, you just released a trigger point, da 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 you know? And so she's like, no, so the most basic thing that she taught me at that time was like, close your eyes, open up a door in the top of your head and allow yourself to channel source energy. And as you exhale, open up a door in the bottom of your feet and let whatever you don't need, whatever's not yours flow out of you and back into the earth where the earth can recycle that energy turn it into compost so they can create new life and once i understood that concept it was a very very basic concept a very very basic visualization i would do that grounding before and after each massage before and after each yoga class and from there it's grown into much more um intricate learnings about the nature of energy and the nature of entities and the nature of clearing things and What is an exorcism and what is what yours? What's not yours? What's something else entirely? What's you know what I mean? and so yeah, um, you can go into a whole labyrinthian world of learning different types of energy work But what it really comes down to is having a clear connection to your own intuition and making sure your own energy is clear and knowing to trust yourself and knowing that when you're experiencing something, whatever it, you think you're experiencing is most likely what you're experiencing. You just need to be able to trust yourself and your intuition when it tells you what's happening. And so since then, um, I've really like at our live events, I, kind of, I don't ask for it, but I start to attract people who are ready to release something big and deep and very intense. You've probably seen this with Jombo before, Mm -hmm. right? Same thing. And Jombo's actually mentored me in how to work with this kind of stuff, how to work with entities. Um, And so when something's ready to move, it finds me and whoever it's about to come out of, it comes out of, and I I work with it and I help it move. and it's, it's interesting because most of the time we're at the point now where our community has grown so much that it's not all yoga people. It's not all people who have seen stuff like this before. Yeah. a lot of times it's, a, it's a room full of people who have no idea what is happening. And even the person that's happening too, has no idea what's happening. Right. <laughs> and so I just kind of have to go with the flow, get people to assist me where I can make sure the room is protected and cleared and all of that kind of stuff. And then just kind of like, Explain it afterwards, like, yes, you just gave birth to some energetic babies. And, um, <laughs> you know, so um, you, you really just have to, like, if you're chosen to do this type of work, it's going to find you whether you want it to or not. Jambo's told me multiple times, other of my mentors have told me multiple times, Rosie, it's exhausting this work. Are you sure you want to learn this from me? And I'm like, look. it's not up to me. It's not up to me. These experiences find me and um, I'm going to have to learn how to process them and help people who are having them, whether I want to or not, because they're not going to stop happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that's really where I'm at right now. in my journey is like, I have to learn how to protect myself, how to open myself, how to move this stuff because it's my responsibility. It's a gift that I've been given. And I have an obligation to make sure that everyone in the room is protected as well. Um, and go from there. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's great though. Cause there's always
1: so much to yeah. learn and just the, yeah. the further along
0: you are, um, on accepting who you are and your gifts, then I, I guess it just makes sense that you're going to have to open yourself up to bigger things like that and just trust like it's the right thing. Right. And yeah, exactly. so when you have people that you're coaching, that are a little lost. Like, what what kind of advice would you be able to give to somebody who was like, "I know I want to do something different. Um, I know I like I like being with people. I know I want to be of service to others, but I totally am a little lost. I don't know. I don't know if I have any gifts. Um, like, what kind of advice would you give to those people that feel like lost? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um." <clears throat> Well, oftentimes people who feel lost are experiencing a little bit of comparanoia. (laughs) They see other people who have done similar things to what they've done and they compare themselves to those people and they think I should be where that person is. I've been a yoga teacher. I've been a massage therapist. Look how successful they are. Why don't I have that? Why don't I feel that way about what I do? Um, what, what should I be doing? And what they really need to do is focus on themselves and really get to know themselves on a deeper level, really unpack who they are, what makes them tick, what motivates them, what gets them excited. And oftentimes these are the type of people who are extra sensitive, highly sensitive empaths who take on everybody else's shit and they're unable to distinguish their own emotions from everyone else's emotions around them. Um, and I know because that was me. Yeah. And so they live their life according to the expectations of everyone else around them, according to everyone else's needs. And All so right. my <laughs> computer's going out. Okay. I have to plug it back in. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so my biggest piece of advice for them would be just to know, to get to know themselves and to obviously, honestly coaching is the best way to get to know yourself. If you have someone who's dedicated to you week after week, Coaching is not about advice giving. Coaching, if you have a good coach, that coach should be able to ask you questions that get you to go deeper inside of yourself to find the answers that are already there. And you probably haven't taken the time to do that for yourself yet. You've yeah. just moved from one thing to another, thinking, oh, this will help people, I'll go become a yoga teacher. Oh, I can help people with massage, I'll go become a massage therapist. Oh, and you just spend your whole life helping people, thinking about other people. Um, and not realizing that what you want and your desires and your history and your stories are all important too. Cause almost everybody out there is an expert on something. Even if it's just your own life experience, you have wisdom to offer about something. Absolutely. Yeah. Your story is going to help someone out there.
0: I agree. I, I feel that like we almost have a duty, you know, to share yeah. our knowledge with others, whatever way we feel makes sense to us, but all the experiences we had and the way we, uh, processed things, the way we've gotten over things, the way we've started over or continued with things, however created. I feel like whenever we've learned something, I just find it so important to share it. And somebody will find it helpful because I just find that it's almost our duty. You know what I mean? And like, when I'm talking to you, I'm almost also thinking like, I'm imagining you back in high school and thinking like, It would, you know, like now people in high school, I find that they have different challenges than you had when you were in high school or that I had when I was in high school. When I was in high school, it was some things were opening up. Uh, Mine was more like the late 80s. So it was Mm -hmm. more like the the new wave alternative type of things were were ending up being the the cool thing. So I think, right? And then- That seemed like, but I still know like a lot of my friends, my male friends who were gay were still bullied, still had to transfer school, still felt like they couldn't share anything with people, even though I was kind of deep down jealous of the the gay guys, because I felt like they were the cool ones and I was not going to be that, you know what I mean? Like, I was always kind of jealous of them. But I, when you look back, I know that they were struggling. And I just think, Nowadays it seems more open. It seems okay. People are questioning things. People are not. Oh yeah. They don't need to know. All high
1: schoolers I know are like pansexual, non-binary, gender non-conform, and I'm like, what? What? Go you. That's great. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) But like, what advice? Because I
0: find that there's there's always kind of extremes going on, and I find that as humans, we need to find our own harmony, our own balance. I think when we're so extreme on one side or of, of something else, I don't feel like it's a real harmony within ourselves. I mean, I still feel like it's part of who we are, but I just feel like there's some kind of harmony that needs to happen. And like, what kind of advice would you have? Like, would you coach teenagers? Do you
1: think that that would be helpful? Yeah. Or? Oh yeah. I think that, um, you know, most of the core beliefs we have ingrained into our brains happen between the ages of five and ten generally from the things that happen between the ages of five and ten so those really really deep down core beliefs of i'm not worthy or nobody cares about me or my mom doesn't love me or whatever it is those those form at that age and then they really get solidified in those teenage years you use those beliefs to um to make you determine who you have to be in the world to receive love yeah And so if you had to perform or take care of your mom when you were little because she was depressed and she couldn't take care of herself and your dad wasn't around then you'll do that in your relationship starting as a teenager and then that'll that will become affirmed over and over again as you get older and then, that, I mean, that's, this is my story I'm telling right now, right? <laughs> and you won't realize anything's wrong with that because it's always been who you are until you realize you're 25 and you've been so codependent that you've taken care of your, your partners since you were 14 and you've never done the thing that you really want to do with your life because you've been so consumed with being the caretaker emotionally, physically, for your part, um, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, so, yeah, as teenagers that is a perfect time to receive coaching because then you get to you get to identify those beliefs before they mess up your adult life yeah <laughs> and you get to reprogram them and choose new ones at a young age before you waste most of your 20s doing the things that you don't actually want to be doing or thinking the things about yourself that you don't actually want to be thinking. Um, yeah. So coaching can, coaching, I think is really, really important for teenagers. I don't specialize in coaching teenagers, although I will get my nephews on the phone every once in a while and coach them a little bit, uh, when they've got tough stuff coming up. And I do love that. Uh, in my business, Little Volcano is the name of our coaching company. And we were just talking yesterday, funny that you're talking about this right now, yesterday that we need to have a program for teenagers, just because of this exact reason. Yeah, we have so- it just
0: so seems so important. And I just feel like it just takes a certain type of person to be able to make a teenager feel comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. and really be like, you can be exactly who you are, we're going to work with who you are it's great you know what I mean and because it's that age where you're like trying to look cool or trying to fit in or trying to rebel because you're thinking well I don't want to fit in so I'm going to rebel and I'm going to be like just totally out there and no one's going to understand who I am and I want it that way or however you kind of deal like I was more of the rebel like I just had to play it to the edge and just really like I needed that. I had to get that out of my system. I didn't want anyone stopping me. I didn't care if it was dangerous. It was like, this is what I need to do. I need to yep. find these edges, be with different people, see what that's about, see what their lifestyles are about, um, you know, expose myself to danger and deal with it and all these type of things that make me feel alive, whatever. But um, I think that that's such, that was such a turning point of, at least in my life where that's when I really started doubting who I am, low self-confidence, um, those type of things where you think, yeah, I trust my parents, but I kind of want to talk to somebody else. You know, like I kind of want to talk to somebody who doesn't know know me because I just want that openness of not being judged or somebody thinks they know me, but they really don't. Like it's just a neutral person that's going to be able to help me sort through some things, you know? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I just think of like the teens today that I'm like my daughters are teens now, thirteen and fifteen, and I feel That's like cool. I think like parenting that that age or even younger before that, like because you have like a little boy, he's a little over one years old, right? Yeah, he's like fifteen months. Okay, yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit if you have time, but like when they start, you'll notice this, or if you already haven't, like. So you have four people raising your son, right? So that's four personalities. I assume they're all strong personalities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming maybe not, but half of them got to, have gotta be, right? Yeah. And like I'm strong personality, so is my husband. And so you have your own beliefs about things, how things should be done. And then when you're raising your children, I feel like I feel like I had probably different philosophies through different periods of time, through different ages. And then I've changed so much in the past 15 years. So of course the way I'm going to interact or my new, I have new philosophies as well. And then you have, I have my partner who's gone through different things too. And I just find it can be so, I always wonder like, as a parent, what message am I sending right now?
1: Mm -hmm. And then
0: sometimes I don't know if you get, you probably don't get that yet, but maybe you do like at night, like right before you fall asleep, sometimes you're like, you get like, Oh, that sucked. What I said or did today. Like, I I
1: wish I had it, uh, right? So what I'm saying is, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say one thing that I'm really grateful for in having a four-parent family is that we knew each other for five years and talked about being co-parents for five years before we had a baby together. And so we talked about all the different ways that we would want to raise a child. And we realized that we agreed on all the really important stuff. And not only that, having four people instead of two, and we're not, it's not like all four of us are a couple, it's two separate couples. We're just friends. And so because we're not in that kind of like romantic relationship with each other, we hold each other to really high standards and we hold each other really accountable and we have to have really clear communication. And so because of that, we, we read books together as a family and about parenting. And then we talk about that and we call each other out in moments where there's um, an idea that we have all agreed on as parents is what we want to do and one person's not doing it we'll say hey remember this you know and so it, it we encourage each other all to be the best parent that we can be and to be super accountable for doing what we say we're going to do as parents and if one of us slips or is not doing that we, we kind of like gently remind each other with love, but we have a meeting every single week, a family meeting where we talk about it too and say, okay, well, I noticed this with him. Well, let's try to encourage him to do this or let's try to not use these types of words around him because his brain's gonna develop a little bit better if we use these types of words. Um, and and that's been a really cool part of being a parent that I feel like most two-parent families don't get a chance to do that. They don't get a chance to talk about those philosophies as much because it's harder when you're in a couple with someone to be constantly calling them out. Eh, the Montessori talk book says this, you know, with just two people would drive each other crazy. But all of a sudden when it's four people, it's like, all right, this is our responsibility. We've all agreed to this. Okay, yeah, cool, yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> it must diffuse the energy a little
0: differently too. Cause I don't know if you've noticed with Kit, but like, and it's still the somewhat the beginning of parenting. Uh personally I noticed like my husband is different as a father, you know, like there's a side that I didn't know. And yeah, that sometimes may be surprising for him and it's also surprising for me. And so it's like, wow, who's that person? I didn't know they had that trait or that belief Mm -hmm. or that way. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, like you said, if it's just two, you don't want to be on somebody's back all the time, but you're the mom, so you have to like make sure that you things are being done in a way that you think is sending a good message. Like I find that sometimes it's really not complicated, but it can be somewhat challenging and intense emotionally. Right.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, But I think it also helps that we all do this work. We all do this personal development, personal transformation work all the time. And so we're always looking for ways to evolve ourselves, to call out our own emotional beliefs, traumas or triggers from our own childhoods and transform them so that we can be better people and better parents for our child. And so To be all on the same page with that is really important as well, because if only one of us is doing that type of work or even just two or even three of us, but somebody wasn't, that would be really hard because that person would just prefer to be ignorant to what triggers them. But all four of us are aware of this and all four of us want to be doing this work. So we're always looking for opportunities to unpack those that's a good way to look at it because i feel lucky
0: because my husband's so open to my observations (laughs) you know like that's great and takes it very seriously and um i think like yeah i'm grateful for that because we're both growing so much and on the other hand sometimes i think it'd be nice just to uh not have anything emotional going on ever. Like it would be nice to just have, <laughs> right? Like, wouldn't it just be it nice to nice be a nice robot to, just for a day, <laughs> Yeah, like, I know. you know? And then like, what's so funny is like the times I've chosen to get away as a mother were the two times I did the advanced teacher training in Berlin with Anna for 10 days, which is obviously extremely emotional and the 30 days, which is like even more emotional. So I find it funny that those two times I had a chance to actually, those were the times I decided I'm going to be away from my family for like a a long time. Yeah. But I was working on myself that whole time, you know, but like, yeah, I just, it's good to all be on the same page of dealing with our stuff. Yeah. Overcoming things so that you, you evolve, like you said, and you, you have a way to deal with things in a different way or a more positive or healthy way or whatever word you want to use. But, um, Yeah. So before we, we just, um, close our interview, I just wanted to ask you, um, about being a mom and running your coaching business and, um, like, how do you, what do you do in your life to find balance, to feel grounded or to feel nourished? What are the types of things
1: you're doing? Yeah, that's really important. Um, I tend to, you know, being a former codependent empath, uh, (laughs) sacrificial healer, that's the biggest pattern for me to unwind and reprogram is the pattern of self-love and self-care and making that a non-negotiable thing, a non-negotiable part of my life, especially as a mom. I feel like I'd just gotten that down. Like, Right before I gave birth, I was like, boom. Like when, I, when you get pregnant, all of a sudden, the need to take care of yourself becomes a lot more important because it's not just you you're taking care of. It. It's also a little creature inside of you. So you're like, yeah, you go to bed on time. I meditated for an hour every single day at 5 a.m. I went for a walk every single day. I didn't check my email to a certain time and I really got into that routine. I was like, yeah, I got the self-care thing down. Yeah, it's because I had another human inside of me. So it really wasn't (laughs) self-care, was it? Um, That's okay. And then the human comes out and you're like, oh crap, now I don't have time for anything. (laughs) Now i got to figure it all out again. Um, You have to just like, you really just have to roll with it and, and make it happen when it can. You have to snatch those moments when they present themselves. You have to live really in the present, right? Because... Even with four parents, having a baby is still a lot. It's a lot of work. <laughs> and so even when the other dads have him and I have free time, it's like, oh, well, great. Now I can do laundry and clean the <laughs> bathroom and that, you know, go to the grocery store. And, you know, it's like that's not really self-care. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. And so he's 15 months old and I still, I do struggle from day to day to have a solid routine, but in general, the things that do ground me are meditation, yoga practice and running or walking, hiking, any of those things. I I love all three of them, but I'm not always in the mood to do any one of them. So I just have to go with what I'm yeah, feeling. Yeah. yeah. So those, that's what keeps me grounded. I I take a lot of baths as well. And, occasionally I uh, do take time away from the family to go do medicine work. So I'll go do like an ayahuasca ceremony or something like that. And that's usually two or three days. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are good tips for people out there that are trying to juggle a lot right now and are, you know, not taking care of themselves. Like what do you think the benefits are of self care?
1: I mean, it's the difference between living a joyful life, a joyful, fulfilling life, or living a stressed out, uh, self-sacrificing, uh, life, you know, for me anyway. And I think it's different for everybody. It really is, again, just about coming down to knowing yourself and knowing what makes you tick and what you need and asking yourself, is this the life I want to live? And knowing that actually here's the most important thing. It's your responsibility to live your life to the fullest and to the most joyful so that you can be an example for your children of how to live the same way. Because if you're just surviving and getting by from day to day, trying to make it work for your kids, they're going to see that. They're going to see that you're unhappy, that you're stressed out, that you don't take care of your physical health. You know, how many parents do you know that end up getting out of shape and, Getting a little out of shape isn't the worst thing in the world, but when you stack that up over time, it can lead to joint pain, diabetes, term, you know, all kinds of illnesses and diseases, autoimmune stuff. I mean, like you name it, right? Stress, the, the stress hormone, cortisol, having high levels of cortisol in your body over time can make you more susceptible to cancer, can give you migraines. I mean, insomnia, all kinds of terrible health problems that are gonna make you show up not as a great parent because you're going to be snapping at your kids you like you're not going to be feeling good they're going to see that and then they're going to repeat the same patterns yeah, so really yeah. like it's your job your number one job as a parent to make sure that your health your physical mental emotional health spiritual health is all your number one priority because otherwise you're just going to create the same unhealthy patterns that you learned from your parents in your kids So that to me, that's what it all comes down to when you're coaching somebody, if they have kids, if they won't change for themselves, you bring their kids into the conversation and all of a sudden they're willing to change. (laughs) Great. Well, I wanted to
0: thank you so much for sharing so many different things with us. There's so many, um, there's so much um, richness in everything that you, you gave us today and Um, once this is on my website and YouTube, there will be links. So people can, um, also, if they want to contact you, find out more about what you do and get coaching done or any of the other services you provide, they will have that information. So
1: thank you so much. Thank you, Amy. It was really a pleasure talking with you and thank you for the awesome questions.
0: You're welcome.